This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we discuss psychological and emotional issues and what you can do about them, whether that's self-acceptance, taking action, or changing your attitude. Eight years ago, I extended the walls of my practice to reach those of you who might already be knowledgeable about mental health treatment, but also to those of you who might say, you'd never darken the door of a therapist, and yet you're here. I'll answer your questions while I invite you to take a few minutes for your own self-work. Some people, and it may be you, don't know how to grieve. It's not been modeled for them. They've never seen a parent cry, for example, or that parent show any outward expression of sadness. Neither my dad or my mom cried much, but I did see tears in my dad's eyes when his beloved sister, Margaret, died. I was glad to see it, although it was a little disconcerting since I hadn't seen it before. Welcome to this week's edition of Self Work. Norman Lear is someone whose work, talent, and creativity I've admired for a long time. I was in high school and college when his first TV shows claimed the screen on the family, the Jeffersons, Maud, Sanford, and Son. Finally, there were depictions of real, or at least more real, families and storylines that reflected the dominant cultural conflicts over values and morals and choices, challenging racism and sexism, to name only a few. Norman Lear died a few weeks ago, and I watched a report on him, actually, an interview, and how he talked about the fear of mortality. I jotted down what he said, because his words were like a thunderbolt exploding right over my head, as he verbalized feelings that I'd never been able to do. He was talking to his adult kids, and he said, it's not the going I struggle with, and then went on to say a few sentences about his beliefs about death. Then he continued, it's the leaving that I don't know how to deal with. It's not going, it's the leaving. So today on Self Work, we're going to focus on endings and grieving, what's important to feel, what's valuable to remember, what's important to give up. Our SpeakPipe voicemail today is from a daughter who's looking for answers for her mom after her mother has moved in with her own mother, the listener's grandmother. She feels a heavy energy, this listener says, and asks how I can help. Speaking of help, <laughs> let's hear from BetterHelp. It's a new year. Maybe it's time to get a fresh perspective on old problems so you can move forward or on some new ones. We're ending 2023 and coming into 2024. And last year was a hard year for many. 2023 held cultural uproar and violence and worldwide anxiety. So in welcoming 2024... More people than ever are recognizing that their own sense of personal direction is being affected by what's going on in the world and not in a good way. Talking about that can help you see how to cope with those anxieties while also keeping your emotional stability in check. It helps to vent and to hear yourself make connections with your strengths while admitting your struggles and getting an objective perspective. After you make the first contact, BetterHelp standard is to offer names of therapists to you in less than two days, and you can talk to them in a first session to see if it's a good fit by video, text, or chat. But if it's not a good fit, rather than going through an awkward call or email, you simply let BetterHelp know, and they'll ask what it was you didn't like and find someone else for you. I'm a therapist because I got good therapy. I know how much of a difference it can make. And here's BetterHelp's offer for self-work listeners. 10% off your first month of sessions if you use this link, betterhelp.com slash self 
There's never a better time than now, today, to reach out and get help. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. Norman Lear said something about how death would be hard for him. It wasn't fear of mortality. It wasn't some spiritual dilemma. And I'm going to try to quote him, but I'm not going to get it absolutely correct. He said, it isn't the going that's hard for me. It's the leaving. No longer being a part of his loved one's lives. And them not being a part of his, at least life, as we know it here on the earth with this life as we know it to be. He's saying, it's the leaving leaving those you love, knowing that you'll no longer be present for them and with them. It's the relationships that will be over. I've never heard anything that quite explains the way I myself feel about death and suspect I will feel when that time comes. The problem will be the leaving. But this brought up the subject of endings and grief and the need for grieving, which I found out over the last 30 years that many people do not know how to do. So grief and grieving, those are two different things. Grief is an emotion. It's a word that describes the feelings that come when loss occurs. Grieving is a process that takes time, sometimes a lot of time. And some will say grief never ends, but does ease and become part of who you are, rather than a process that overwhelms and controls your other emotions, your thinking, your choices. A question I hear a lot is, how long is grieving supposed to take? This is usually asked by people who are overwhelmed or frightened by their grief, or frankly, someone else's grief is affecting them. And so the let's get it over with and get back to life confrontation comes. Or there's true fear that maybe their lives or their loved one's life may never return to normal. And that can be terribly frightening. For years, my caveat, or what I tend to say and believe, is that what makes grieving problematic or unhealthy is when you get stuck in a certain aspect of it. If you stay angry, if you stay in deep sadness, almost impossible to connect with, that kind of thing. If that happens, then that's not healthy for you or for the other people that you love. But there are other problems that may occur when a leaving has happened. The first one, not knowing how to grieve or being very uncomfortable that you don't have control over it. Some people, and it may be you, don't know how to grieve. It's not been modeled for them. They've never seen a parent cry, for example, or that parent show any outward expression of sadness. Neither my dad or my mom cried much, but I did see tears in my dad's eyes when his beloved sister, Margaret, died. I was glad to see it, although it was a little disconcerting, since I hadn't seen it before. I never saw my mom cry, except one time, which was weird, when we were on vacation in Colorado and we were close to crossing the Continental Divide. I looked up at her and there was a tear rolling down her cheek. To this day, I have no idea whether she was worried about my dad's driving, whether she was scared of heights, or whether something else was going on with her, and, frankly, I suspect the latter. My mom kept a lot of secrets. But back to the topic. When you see a parent grieve normally, whether that's through crying or some sort of overt sadness, whether you see their face cloud up as they look into the distance, you learn that grief is okay to feel and express. But there are many, many people that don't have that. So when grief arrives in their life, which is inevitable, they're flummoxed 
as to how to express it. They're confused. It feels too big. So they don't feel the grief. And that can be another huge problem. As you've heard me say probably a lot, if you don't feel it, you live it out. If you don't feel the sadness, if you don't feel the fear, if you don't feel the anger, your choices or your actions will be affected by those feelings in ways that you can't see. Here's another thought. The more uncomfortable you are with grief, with vulnerability, with revealing your own pain, the less likely you are to truly move on. Instead, you'll search for distraction. That could be drowning yourself in work or some substance or gaming or whatever your particular addiction is. Or you may look for and find a quick substitute. You'll stuff someone else in your absent partner's place. You'll find a buffer, a relationship that you lose yourself in far too quickly, way before you've actually grieved. This is the widow, for example, or the divorcee, who within a month or two has someone else in their life. They're too frightened of being alone, so they choose someone else to wrap their lives into, often at a huge cost to their children. They don't know how to grieve, or it's overwhelming to them, so they find a substitute. They replace that person. Most of us probably know someone like this, or maybe you did it yourself, and now you see it as a mistake, or my words may help you understand that it may not have been the best thing for you nor your children. But another thing that could happen is you could emotionally exit life yourself. So you're not moving on either. In fact, your life ends along with a deceased. You leave along with them. This is the parent who loses a child, which is truly a parent's worst nightmare. And that parent emotionally dies along with them. I've heard this story from so many of my patients who said, yes, I had a sibling who died and I never had another mother. Or my father died or my mother died. And the other parent simply slipped away. The grief seems too much for life to go on. So you almost dissociate from that life. You detach. It can happen with other losses. When your own parent dies and you feel inadequate to live life on your own, so you just stop engaging. When something happens and you can no longer have the career you've had for years and you don't know how to live life without that career, when you can't be or fill your life with that professional role. In fact, I was in a gift store one time that featured local Arkansas artists' work. There was a beautiful ceramic bowl that I was admiring, and the shop owner told me the story behind it. The artist used to be a surgeon and lost the use of a couple of his fingers. Obviously, he could not be a surgeon anymore. So he decided to become an artist. I loved that story. Yes, I'm sure it helped that financially he'd probably done well as a surgeon, or I'm assuming he did. But whether it's with change that we don't expect and is not even welcome, or it's just general aging, you have to find the courage to leave and find something else productive to do. So what do I mean? You have to learn how to sit with it. You listen to music that helps you reach your emotions. You journal. You lean into it. You ask for help to learn. You can learn, and you can be guided to grieve. Often if you join a grief recovery group, you will be supported by the people in that group to help you grieve and who will notice when you are not. So all of these issues with grief itself might crop up for you. A second way grief can be hard and somewhat surprising is that living through the second year after a loss is often harder than the first year. It's a balancing act between realizing that your life will never be the same 
but others haven't experienced the loss you have, and they don't even remember sometimes. They stop asking how you're doing. Those first-year anniversaries were painful but also important, and you felt so driven to live and to feel that you made yourself take those steps. You could remember often, this time last year I was, or we were, but you don't have those markers in the second year as much. So your connection to the loved one that's gone can seem weaker, but it's not that. But it can feel that way, and you almost get panicked that the person you have loved, that you're forgetting them, or that their memory is seeping through your fingers. So this balancing act in the second year, and the third year, and the fourth year is something that's really tough and often is surprising for people who are grieving. Now, it also may be that a death causes you to be frightened of loss and further grief. It would be too much. A woman came to me who'd lost her husband, for example, in a sudden car crash. They'd had several children together, and their shock and grief was immense. She looked at me after she'd been in therapy for a while and said, quite honestly, I quote, I'll never let another person become so important to me. It hurts too much. So you don't want to connect, so you don't have to grieve. And what did she do? She lost herself in caring for her children. She also had to set boundaries with her very scared and overly helpful parents and parents-in-law, but also did a good job of working through her own grief. She came back a couple of years later. She sort of shyly said, I've met someone. I can't believe he's so wonderful, but I said I'd never let anyone else back in. But I want to. How do I get over the fear? And so we did work around her fear, which given her circumstances was very, very normal. Not only fear for herself, but fear for her children. What if they opened their hearts to him and for some reason he left? How could she even consider bringing him into the family that had already had so much grief? Well, they married. Because she realized that so much of her fear was irrational. Some of it was normal common that she would have those fears, but she gave herself time to feel those fears. And of course, a huge thing is that she'd actually waited those couple of years. She'd lived through her own grief and the grieving of her children. She'd established herself in a career, and she fell in love again. The third and last complication is when your grief is plagued by what's called rumination. If you ask yourself constantly, well, what if, or what could have happened if, I found an interesting article that called this thinking counterfactual. I'd never heard that word, but I guess it means not dealing or aligning yourself with the facts. Instead, you live in a kind of perpetual grief, like, what if this had happened? What if that hadn't happened? She or he or they might not have died. There was a really good article in NPR, and I'm going to quote them, problems involved with grief. One of those is the grief-related rumination that people sometimes experienced. The better term for that that people will recognize is the would've, should've, could've thoughts. And they just roll through your head over and over again. The problem with these thoughts we sometimes call counterfactuals is that they all end in this virtual scenario where the person doesn't die. Let me say that again. The problem with these ruminative thoughts, counterfactual thoughts, is that they all end in this virtual scenario where the person doesn't die and that's just not reality. But by spinning these thoughts, not only is there no answer, there are an infinite number of possibilities with no actual answer of what could have happened. 
So our virtual version is not really helping us to learn how to be in the world now. Again, this makes a lot of sense to me. A widow came to see me a couple of years after the death of her husband. She went to the cemetery every day and seemed still in perpetual grief. Nothing has changed since he died, she said. But when I asked further questions, she really meant that. She hadn't moved anything. She hadn't taken over the tasks that had been his to do, like one of them was paying taxes. She was living life as if he was still going to come home and then get back to their lives. She spent hours thinking about how he died. She'd gone to work and come home every day, but she was living as if he wasn't dead. And she gradually became more and more depressed. She asked herself questions like, what if he hadn't taken that road home? He died in a car accident that didn't involve any other vehicle, and he'd spun out his car, and the car had been destroyed, and he died. Another question, could he have been going too fast? Which was something he did, so does that mean she's angry with him? All of those questions were rolling around in her heart and mind, and she was paralyzed by them. She also realized she was missing out on her daughter's lives, and it was important that they get her attention. So our work was to help her accept her reality, and she did some fantastic work. She came in one day and said, I've taken our taxes to a CPA, and we're... And then she stopped herself. And I'm going to get things sorted out. From a we to an I. Very painful, obviously, but necessary for this woman to get back to living. I mentioned something that many believe, that when you grieve, that that doesn't mean you get over the loss. My patients have taught me, just as our bodies heal a wound, there are still scars, and those scars don't go away. They fade. They're not as noticeable to others and eventually not as painful to you. But I thought this quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was very meaningful, and I quote, The reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal, and you will rebuild yourself around the loss you have suffered. You will be whole again, but you will never be the same. Nor should you be the same, nor would you want to. This quote seems to suggest that, again, it's the leaving that makes a mark, a hole, an empty space that you learn to live with. It's that that loved one existed, and now their absence leaves sorrow that's never departed, never gone, but can be healed. So as we begin another year, and if you've lost a loved one, I hope you can allow yourself to grieve and not try to pretend that this grief doesn't exist. It does. And hopefully you are healing and will continue to heal. The more you loved, the harsher and more difficult the pain will be. Because it's the leaving that's hard. Speak pipe message from drmargaretrutherford.com Let's listen to one of the speak pipe voicemails for today. My mom has recently just went over to Melbourne, Victoria to live with her mum, but my mum feels very heavy energy, maybe to do with her childhood, to do with her mum. I'm not sure. How can you help? This listener's concern for her mother seems very real, and it seems that she's looking for ways to help. 
Sadly, whatever this energy is that her mom is describing may have something to do with her mother and grandmother's story and not hers. It may be that her mother, moving back in with her grandmother, is triggering some kind of memory, especially if she's gone back to the house where she was reared. What I would recommend to her mother is to get into therapy of some kind so that she can try to figure out if the energy is about the past or could it be grieving about her mother's current state and herself moving into a caregiver role. I've seen that kind of grief all the time. That's also a strong possibility and that role reversal can often cause a sadness or grieving of its own. Realizing that your own mother may not have the capacity anymore to give to you, at least the way she has. I didn't get enough information to really take an educated stab at what might be going on. So my recommendation is to try and discern what might be coming from something in childhood or whether the energy she feels is more about a shift in her relationship with her mother and doesn't belong in the present. Of course, it could be both. I hope these words are helpful to you. Thank you so much for being here at Self Work in 2024. I'm delighted that we have some new listeners. And of course, I want the old listeners, the tried and true listeners to hang in there (laughs) and keep listening. Thank you all so much for that. I just spoke this week at the Missouri Asphalt Paving Association and had a great time there in Columbia, Missouri. So again, if you'd like for me to speak to your organization, just let me know. Go to drmargaretrutherford.com. And there is a contact form for me to speak. I can do that virtually, or if it's not too far, (laughs) I can come to you. I want to thank so many of you that have watched and listened to my TEDx. It is now almost 450,000 views, well over 300 comments, 25,000 likes. I am honored and respected. If you haven't done that, you can just Google TEDx Boca Raton or just TEDx and Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and you'll get it and can watch it yourself. I had someone leave a comment that she had been a a listener of self-work for a long time, and it was nice to see what I actually looked like talking. Oh, and I need to say that, too. We are now putting things on YouTube. It's still a little messy, so be patient with us. But we're trying to download both audio-only episodes and our videos of interviews. So, you know, if you've been curious and you're a YouTuber and you love YouTube, then you can find me there, too. Again, I have my own channel, Dr. Margaret Rutherford, but the specific channel is the Self-Work Podcast with Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I think that'd be fun. Love to hear from you. As always, you can join me at my Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're up to almost 3,800 members, and that waxes and wanes, but it's a great group from all over the world. We'd love to have you there. So once again, thank you very much for being here. I'm very grateful and appreciative. Please leave a review or a rating. I need those coming in. (laughs) So if you've always wanted to do it, you could put that on your resolution list for 2024. Take very, very good care of yourself, your family, and those you love. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.